You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing in higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. I'm Troy Singer here with Bart Kaler, and today we are excited to talk to Guy Kawasaki, who currently is the Chief Evangelist for Canva. He also has a beautiful podcast called Remarkable People, where he makes it a mission to make his listeners remarkable people. Today, we invite him on the podcast because of his background in marketing, and here most recently with Canva's work with higher education and the impact that they're having within higher education. This is a great conversation. I really enjoyed getting to know Guy. I've been following him for years. I've read his books. I remember uh, probably meeting him 20 years ago at a, at a talk one time. But I really like the fact that he's really kind of lend his um, name and his expertise to Canva. He's the chief evangelist. And if you're not familiar with Canva, you probably will be soon. They're kind of like the democratization of graphics and communications. And so a lot of schools that I'm working with are starting to use Canva for ways to do some of their marketing. And so we thought it'd be great to have him come on and talk a little bit about his role there at Canva, the way Canva is utilizing their platform and their systems specifically for higher education. And it's just been a great conversation. He has a lot of just tidbits and stories along the way and and some really good ideas for higher ed marketers at the very end that you'll want to stick around for. If anything, please go and download Remarkable People We are privileged to have Guy Kawasaki on the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. We are so honored and pleased to have Guy Kawasaki with us. And a lot of you will know him from the wonderful contributions that he's made to society, whether his name is affiliated with Apple or with the Wikimedia Foundation. Today, we want to talk about his work with Canva and also introduce you to his wonderful podcast, Remarkable People. So, Guy, it is truly our pleasure for you, or because you agree to have a conversation with us. How do you know it's going to be pleasurable? <laughs> we haven't done it yet. Fair enough. I've listened to books and I've listened to your podcast. I definitely know this is going to be a wonderful conversation. And For those who may not be familiar with you, if you could just give us a glimpse into your work at Canva and also a little bit about Remarkable People. I am the chief evangelist of Canva, which means I bring the good news of Canva, how Canva has democratized graphics for people. I am also the host of the Remarkable People podcast, and my goal for that podcast is to help people become remarkable, just like my guests. That's what I do. I evangelize Canva and I host a podcast every once in a while. I make a speech or two. And right now I'm also writing a book called The Remarkable Mindset, which is based on the Remarkable People interviews. Thank you very much, Guy. And for our listeners who, for the most part, are affiliated with higher ed and higher ed marketers, would love for you to give us a little background of, you know, 
how you feel your background has contributed and brought you to your current work at Canva. Listen, I'm so old that my background goes for a long time. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> I'll give you the short version. Please. Yeah. Very good, sir. So the short version is that as an Asian American in the mid 70s, your parents wanted you to be a doctor, lawyer, or dentist. And so when I was at, in school, I went on this pre-med tour of the hospital and I fainted. So I knew I couldn't be a doctor. And then I didn't want to stick my hand in people's mouths so I wouldn't be a dentist. So I went to law school, but then I dropped out after two weeks and I went and got an MBA. While I was getting an MBA, it was a four-day program. I took a job literally counting diamonds for a jewelry manufacturer. So I started in sales and marketing for a jewelry manufacturer, which truly taught me how to sell. And then my classmate from school recruited me kind of out of the jewelry business into Apple, where I became a software evangelist. And I convinced software and hardware companies to make Mac products. After that, I started some companies. I returned to Apple as Apple's chief evangelist. And I've been writer, speaker, Canva, podcaster, author since then. You know, I've been in the Adobe suite my entire life. And, and one of the things that I really... <laughs> that's too bad. <laughs> well, I, I, that's what I was going to say is that when I came across Canva, I was able to kind of get my ideas down in a quick way that kind of blew me away. I have been more in business development and consulting over the last, you know, decade of my career. So I haven't been in the Adobe suite the entire time. And so, you know, back in the day I could do, I could run circles around PageMaker and, and freehand, but you know, those have changed and, and it's bloated <laughs> well, now. So much of the Adobe suite is so big that I just felt overwhelmed whenever I would try to get into Illustrator to do something. But Canva gave me this ability to just jump in and get my ideas down. You know, in a sense, Canva is to, Adobe products, what Macintosh is to Unix, right? <laughs> that's, a, that's actually a good way to look so, at it. So, yeah. So, you know, yeah, there are Unix hackers and there are Photoshop hackers, but 99.9% .9 of the world would just want to start designing. And I, I tell people that you can finish a design in Canva faster than you can boot Photoshop. <laughs> I think you might be right on that. And, and I, I mean, what are some of the use cases that you're seeing a lot of people using Canva for? I mean, I can go through my own list that I will in a second, but what are some of the best ways that you see that being utilized? I mean, oh my God, you know, anything graphic, right? So whether it's social right. media, website design, now, now we've incorporated aspects of artificial intelligence so it can help you create graphics that you just describe with text. It can help you create text that you describe by just giving a short idea for what you want. Right. And um, I, my main use of Canva is to replace PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. So I, I make all my presentations with the 16 by nine Canva template. And um, in the cases where I know that the host organization wants PowerPoint at the very end, I just export from Canva to the PowerPoint format. But I would much rather be working in Canva to create the PowerPoint presentation than to be working in PowerPoint to create the PowerPoint presentation. 
that was how I first started Canva because I wanted something that was faster to kind of implement my ideas into PowerPoint. And when I got in there and realized, oh, wow, the sudden I've got all these stock photos, all these stock videos, I can all of a sudden make my presentation so much more rich and user focused yeah. and, and get to the point quicker than trying to hack through PowerPoint or hack through, you know, Google Slides or whatever <laughs> else. And uh, that's what sold me to the begin with. And then when I got to the point of needing to describe a, a website interface or, or needed to do a quick, you know, a social media ad, being able to pull a template, modify that or, or create a new one on the fly, like you said, it was so much quicker. Yep. And, and so I've become a little bit of, uh, you know, sharing that story with people and my clients just saying, Hey, you really ought to do this. So, you know, we're starting to do some teams with different clients and yeah. pull them in, but how is that working? I mean, I know you have some special things for higher education, even some, some of the clients that I recognize with like Ivy tech that I've worked with. I mean, there there's in complete organizations now that are, that are using Canva yeah. and help me understand that. Well, you know, in a sense, my life is like Groundhog Day. I just see the same patterns <laughs> <laughs> emerging. So when I worked at Apple, the Apple II was the dominant education computer, right? So every school had Apple IIs. So there were programs of Apple II for the teacher, Apple for your school, Apple II, everything. Underlying that thought was if we get people, if we get kids using apples when they're young, they're going to take it with them to college and afterwards, right? Right. And in a sense, that's the same thing that's happening with Canva. So if we, if we get to you young before you, <laughs> if you lost your way and, and we introduce you to Canva, and then you'll be creating graphics probably for the rest of your life using Canva. So it's much easier when you're a blue ocean or a green field than to have to undo damage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the things I've been fascinated with. I, I did speak with some folks at Canva recently to understand it better. And just for our audience, I wanted to explain a little bit. So not only is it for your higher ed marketing team, but Canva also has a program that you can actually roll it out to all of your students. And so there's a way that all of your students, much like, you know, Microsoft might do with their Teams setting and, and their, their suite, or Google does with the Google suite. Canva has a similar suite that every student on campus can have the ability to to participate and actually make Canva part of their learning. And that's what fascinates with me is, like you said, I mean, it's great for the marketing team. It's great for the creative teams on campus. But to be able to roll that out and have your students come alongside of that, I think that's a pretty fascinating thing. And what are some of the successes that, that uh, those, those schools that are doing that are seeing? It's all about sort of the general empowerment of, in this case, students, but really people. Mm. That mm -hmm. it, it, in the old world, to use another analogy, you know, in the old world, if you wanted some special graphic or some special report or some special functionality, you had to suck up to the IT department or the MIS department or whatever, right? And then along yep. comes Macintosh and all of a sudden, hmm, you can plug it in and print without asking anybody's help, right? And so Canva is just like that metaphor that rather than submitting an RFP, standing in line, hoping you're gonna get the attention of the sacred you know, departments, you can roll your own. And so 
I, you know, I tell people at the start of my career, I democratize computing. At the end of my career, I'm democratizing communication. And just in the middle, I flailed a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd say that, but that, I think that's a, that's a great way to put it is the democratization of communication, because I think that there are so many ways for us to communicate and so many uh, tools to use. I like the fact that Canva has just the suite of tools kind of rolled up into it. And you talked a little bit earlier about the AI and the idea of um, utilizing, you know, artificial intelligence. And I know that's kind of the rage. Everybody's talking about chat GPT, yep. but I think people need to understand that when we talk about artificial intelligence, that's one piece of it, you know, mid journey Dolly. And we've had a couple of guests recently talking about mm -hmm. that, but help me understand. I mean, you kind of hinted at it earlier about the idea that you can, you know, write a little bit of a, a prompt to get it to, you know, write some copy or you can have it do some edits. And I know there's a new magic eraser in Canva that you can go in and remove objects from the background or remove the background itself. So help me understand a little bit more about kind of where's this roadmap of, of artificial intelligence. I just want to point out that you so eloquently explained what we do. What can I add to that? I mean, <laughs> I mean seriously, well, not seriously, what can I add to that? It's just taking it up another level of helping you become a better communicator by helping you write, helping you produce graphics. And, you know, like you take a picture of somebody holding um, a beer and you say, make that person hold a flower. Hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what a concept, right? How good is yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, that's what that's blown me away is, I mean, I saw a few people on Instagram showing off the Canva tools and they had a picture of Dwayne Johnson and, you know, they had him, you know, you know, kind of scrubbed the top of his head and said, make him blonde. And he had like a really nice blonde part. I, and it just was so, so fast and so real and so amazing. But I think what I'm really fascinated with is that this is a very accessible tool. Well, can't be more accessible than free. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, to have this kind of tool at everybody's fingertips is pretty amazing. And I think that that's part of why I wanted to have you on the show. I've become a believer in, in what Canva can do. And I love the fact that it's democratizing communications. And, and I, I work with a lot of really tiny schools, almost to the point where they call them micro colleges. And, uh, you know, many of them don't have you know, full-time marketing people, or if they do, they're wearing three other hats. And the first thing I always say is, okay, let's Let's put a strategy together. Once we have the strategy, let's get a Canva account so that we can start doing some of these things that we need to help you with. And and I think that's one of the things that I've been most drawn to Canva about is just this idea that it, there is this ability for a lot of uh, a lot of places to really be able to kind of look professional, get some yeah. professional marketing and communications done just simply by utilizing this tool. And you know something, like I can honestly tell you that this goodness of, of Canva about democratizing communication, of supporting education. We also have a huge program, Canva for Good, where we support not-for-profits. This is not some putting lipstick on a pig, you know, that we're a big, bad, ugly company, so let's do something for schools and not-for-profits so we look a little less bad. And what drew you to that relationship to begin with? Because I, I didn't realize Canva had been around for that many years. And I know that you've been a big believer with Art of the Start and several of your other books. A lot of what you're describing kind of comes out of that thinking. I can give you two versions. <laughs> okay. well, let's hear them both. So the version you're probably expecting is that 
um, I did an extensive analysis of all the potential <laughs> companies that I could go to work for. And after looking at thousands of companies and doing investigations into their management, their technology and potential market, I decided that Canva was on the short list of companies that I would like to work for. If you believe that, I have some oceanfront <laughs> property in Arizona for you. The truth is that when Canva first started, the first use case that myself and someone who I work with, Peg Fitzpatrick, saw for it was to create graphics for Twitter, right? So we believe very early on that in order to break above the noise in Twitter, and <laughs> this is nine years ago noise on Twitter, so imagine today. <laughs> so we had to break about above the noise, and to do that, you had to have a graphic with every tweet, not mm -hmm. just be pure text. So we needed a way to easily make lots of graphics because I tweet a lot, and so, what happened was Peg Fitzpatrick found Canva and Canva noticed that I was using Canva. So Cliff reached out to me and said, hey, we see you using Canva, you know, um, let's get together sometime and talk or whatever. And it just happened that a couple of weeks later, they were coming to San Diego for like social media examiner, social media convention or whatever that right, was. Right. And so we got together in California and I wasn't looking for a job. I was fat, dumb and happy. And, and I saw what they're doing and I saw how it empowered people. And then honestly, I said to Peg, isn't Canva the company you use to make our graphics? And she said, yes. I said, well, just, do you like them? <laughs> And she said, yes. I said, do you think I should help them? And she said, yes. And that's why I'm with Canva. That's great. That's great. I actually was just looking at the book yes. that you're just referencing right now, The the Art of Social Media. And I actually told this to, uh, to Anne Hanley recently. Yeah. She was on the podcast. And uh, there was a time, probably about nine years ago, eight years ago, that when you this book came out, Anne Hanley re re released Everybody Writes and Jay Bear released Utility. And I think I bought all three of those books the same day on, on Amazon. <laughs> and, and I read all three of those and, within a couple of weeks. And which and one was really, the best? Well, of course, yours was the best. <laughs> I told Anne hers was the best and Jay knows his was as well. So, but all of you have been on the podcast and I, I've told some of our listeners that those three books really kind of impacted the way I was thinking about marketing at the time, and especially as I was translating a lot of my past marketing experience in the corporate world and trying to hone it down into higher ed, it really impacted me because I think there was a lot of very, um, all three of you really approached it from a pragmatic standpoint. And that's been a little bit of my uh, calling card for the last 10 years is really trying to be pragmatic. This podcast has been about pragmatism and really trying to make things as approachable and, and down to earth for everyone so that they could really walk away. Because I mean, you know, we have listeners and we've had, we've had the CMOs from Purdue and Harvard and several other big schools on the podcast, but we've also talked with those little tiny micro colleges because we all at the end of the day are trying to really raise the bar for, for our society yeah. and the way that education's leveraged. And so it's been, uh, it's been great. Like to me, if you have to have a hero, <laughs> if you have to have a hero, 
You should make educators your heroes. You should put them yep. on a pedestal. At the end of the day, you know, so many times I think we forget about the students. We forget about the opportunities that that if we all come together and really make a difference. And, and you know, if we had more people who actually went for post-secondary education in some form or another, yeah. we'd be we'd be better off. So yeah. really appreciate the work that you're doing with Canva to help that in the in the uh, in the interim troy i know you had a couple other things you wanted to ask yeah guy mentioned earlier in the conversation about ai and i was wanting to ask him this question all morning guy where do you see ai you know in your personal opinion how it's affecting marketing and then what is canva's role and i know that's a big question but let's say in the next three to six months as we're talking to you in april of 2023 well, let me tell you how I really feel about AI. <laughs> I think that AI slash chat GPT and similar things, they are as big a deal as personal computers, internet, and social media. You might even get me to say that I think chat GPT, and again, I'm using the general concept, not right. just one particular company, I think it's a bigger deal than personal computing <laughs> and internet and social media. Yeah. I use ChatGPT every day. And right now I'm writing a book, so I'm really using it a lot. Now, a lot of educators, when it first happened, they were threatened, you know, people are gonna cheat. Um, we're gonna, it's gonna hurt critical thinking, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, you know, if, if you go back in history, I bet you when Gutenberg started printing Bibles, people said, oh, this is the end of the world. Everybody can get a Bible. It should be only trained professionals, right? Ministers right. <laughs> and, and, and nuns and priests should only have the Bible, not the common person. And then fast forward and now there's desktop publishing and like, oh my God, anybody can publish a book. And then there's websites. Oh my God, anybody can foster the communication of information. And so I think every time this, this and it's truly is disruptive technology, threaten may not be the right word, but I think people underestimate the good that can come from something this disruptive and they tend to focus on the bad uh, and the yeah. paranoid and like listen don't get me wrong you know i think there are destructive uses of ai but all things considered man it's going to make the world a better place there's no question i now i can really go out on a limb and i could tell you that you know i think part of the fear of ai is the assumption that humans are the center of the universe and that, that everything exists for humans. It may be that we're just a cog in the system, just like elephant seals and amoebas and eucalyptus trees, and that there is a higher force and we're just one of the factors. I could make the case that AI may save humans because I don't think AI necessarily is evil. How's that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
I think it's interesting. I, I was mentioning to someone the other day, it's like any other tool that's coming. I think your example of the Gutenberg press is a, is a great one. The one I was using was agriculture with a plow. You know, when plows came out, that was a major issue in agriculture, but they were able to pound them into swords and they pounded them back and forth from swords to plows. And it was, <laughs> it's just another implement. And it depends on how we are using it at the time. You're right. Humans have the, the ability to do things for good. They have the ability to use things for evil. And so it, it just depends on who gets a hold of it, how that's being used and, and, and what that is. But I don't think it's something we need to throw out because of that possibility and of how it might I, be. You know, I have a, I, I just learned this concept um, from a, ga a guy named Dan Simons. He's a professor at the University of Chicago. I bet you're familiar with one of his most famous videos. It's the video where there are students wearing black shirts and white shirts, and they're tossing beach balls. Yep. And, and the yep. challenge is count how many times the people in the black t-shirts catch the ball, right? Or toss the yep. ball. And then in the middle of this video, a student comes out dressed as a gorilla, does a little dance, and then walks off. And apparently something like 30 or 40 or 50% of the people do not notice the guy in the gorilla suit, exactly. right? So anyway, Dan Simons, he, he, he gives a very interesting um, book coming out, and it's about, you know, you have to think about what you're not seeing. And so I'll give you an example. Time and time again, you hear the gurus and the experts say, Mark Zuckerberg doesn't have a college education. Bill mm -hmm. Gates doesn't have a college education. Steve Jobs didn't have a college education. College education is not necessary to be a successful entrepreneur. It may, in fact, even hurt you, right? So all these people are hearing about Zuckerberg, Gates, and Jobs. Dan Simon's point is you got to also look at what else is missing. And what's missing is that there are thousands of entrepreneurs who have college educations who are successful. You just don't hear about them because everybody's looking for the unusual case. Right. And there's only three of them, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, then, and then, so that's another case. Another case is people without college educations who are failures. And there are millions of those and you don't hear about them. So you think, well, maybe they don't exist. And so you have to look at not just the example, but you have to look at what's missing from the rest of this, you know, two by two matrix, which is success, not success, college education, no college education. It's a very important analysis. Well, I think that's great because I think for, for a lot of our listeners, that binary thinking sometimes kind of gets us painted into a corner too, whether it's in that way that you just described 
or whether it's in just the way that we're trying to market where we think, oh, this is the way it's always been done yeah. or this is the way that we're supposed to do it or this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, I'm supposed to use this product instead of Canva. I'm supposed to do this where I think a lot of times we have to look beyond that binary thinking and think a little bit more critically, like you mentioned earlier, what's going to be the best for that prospective student? What's going to be the best way for us to kind of ex- describe the benefits of our institution? And I think that that reminder, I think, is a, is a, is a great way that we can kind of uh, finish that up. Hey, one last thing, that Guy, before we kind of, uh, Troy's going to ask you some ways that, that our listeners can follow up with you. But one question we always ask at the end of our podcasts is, if there was one thing that you could tell somebody this afternoon that's listening that they could do that would move a brick, that would kind of move their marketing in a good direction, what's that one piece of advice or tip that you might give them? I would say, for crying out loud, use your own damn product. Because I, I don't know about you, but there are so many products that I use from the moment you try to open the box because it is in a piece of hard plastic that you have to dynamite off to get to the headphone or to get to the pen or to get to the iPhone case or whatever, right? Now you're, you, you got the manual, if there is a manual. And the manual is printed in gray type in four-point font. <laughs> now, there's like a lot of white space, but no, we're going to use gray type four-point font. And then let's take our favorite favorite company, Apple. I'm just so curious, like what goes on? I don't know about you, but you know, like when I'm in the middle of a podcast... I don't want text messages or the phone to ring, right? Mm-hmm. And I swear, I never really understand this, so I just shut the phone off because I swear there's like, okay, do you turn on do not disturb? Do you use the side buttons to turn off the volume? Do you use the side button to stop the ringer with a hardware button? But you also made some people your emergency contact so that even if you're in the middle of a podcast, their phone call will still come through. How did they decide that you got to know these six things? And then, God forbid, after the podcast, like, oh shit, what did I do? Did I turn on the volume of the ringer? Did I turn off the volume? Did I turn on do not disturb? Did I turn on do not disturb (laughs) only between normal business hours? Like what are all the things I got to reverse to put it back to where it was? So many products. You have to ask yourself, did anybody at the company ever use the product? I think that's a great point. And I think for our listeners, I think taking a tour of your campus is like, you know, that'd be one step. You know, what's it like to be a new student to drive up with their mom and dad? If you're listening, higher ed marketing people, I have four kids. I have been on, God forbid, I bet you 60 campus tours. Okay. Let me give you some marketing advice. For a parent of four kids who's been on 60 marketing tours, every single tour starts with, I am a student here. I am really happy here. 
The classes are small. The professors are available. We have a very diverse student body. I have never been on a college tour where the guide said, the professors are never around. We only get grad students. The classes are 500 people. And everybody's a white male. Like, never. So basically, every college tour says the professors are available, small classes, you can design your own major, and it's a very diverse student body. So my advice to you is that you got to think about how you're unique and valuable as a college. Because I would like every college admissions director to go on five tours of other colleges and you will see you are all saying the same thing you should show parents and their kids what it's really like like take Mm -hmm. them in a dorm room every time i'm on a college tour they they always say oh it's spring break so we can't go in the dorm room i gotta tell you something i'm more interested in the dorm room in the cafeteria than seeing your new five million dollar multiple you know musical center (laughs) everybody wants to show buildings i want to see the dorm room that's my rant (laughs) perfect that's perfect thank you guy i guess usually when we ask this next question people are not as accessible as you but um you are an influencer and with that what is the best way for people to either follow you or reach you or if someone really wanted to connect with you is there a direct way for them to do so my email is guykawasaki at gmail. That's the best way. Okay. okay. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn, but I don't know about you, but on LinkedIn, I hardly ever look at those messages because those messages are so lame, right? Mm-hmm. Like, congratulations on your work anniversary. I got like 60 of those. Like, I'm... I, I, <laughs> I don't even want to put my work dates in my LinkedIn because like 60 strangers, they press one button and I get 60 identical message. Congratulations on your work. Congratulations on your work. Congratulations on your work anniversary. If you want to see what I'm into, I use LinkedIn as my most active social media. So the best way is Guy Kawasaki at Gmail. If you want to see what I consider the best work of my career, my podcast is the best work I've ever done. And we will definitely put that link in the show notes with the uh, remarkable people. But uh, yeah, that's that's great. Thank you, Guy. I love the conversation with you. Bart, do you have any final comments or thoughts that you would like to share? Yeah, I just want our listeners to kind of keep in mind. I've, Like I said earlier, I've really enjoyed uh, reading a lot of Guy's books. And certainly you can go to Amazon and find those out. But I, th- I think that... Uh, also, just his podcast, really good guests on there. And I, and I love the fact that I think everything that he does, he thinks about marketing, thinks about what that's going to be for the end user. And uh, like the work that he talked about with Canva, he's got a real good marketing mind and, and just I've, one that I've always admired. And so, Guy, I really appreciate you being on the podcast today. It's been, a, it's been an honor to have you. The Higher Ed Marketer Podcast is sponsored by Kaler Solutions, an education, marketing, and branding agency and by Ring Digital, providing lift and yield increases through precision targeted digital ads to your enrollment funnel lists. Thank you for joining us.
You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who's a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our Contact Us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time. Oh, <laughs>